There we go. Well, hello, everybody. Once again, good morning and welcome as we engage week five of our series, Lose Yourself. And we're coming towards the end of this series. And uh, inspired by Eminem, we're looking at what it means to lose yourself. And we love this uh, message of getting, you know, taking your shot and finding the greatness that is within you. And don't miss that. You've got to give it everything. And so uh, we're looking at what does that mean to live a life of fulfillment, to be happy, to engage in that kind of way. And this is something that I believe God has put in you and longs for you to experience. And so we've been made to be happy. We've been made to be fulfilled. And Jesus actually talked about that himself. And so we're looking at what does it mean to follow Christ, Because as Christ followers, we believe that Jesus is the greatest thing that we can pursue. Everything for us starts with him, starts with Christ. And so we believe that Jesus has the words of eternal life. And he is the best source for how we live out our lives today. But not only that, more significantly, he is who we live our lives for. That we live to give him glory. And that part is different. That part is different. That we believe that he is the best thing we can pursue and we going to live our lives for him. And that is how we find our happiness. And so every week we've been looking at the words of Jesus. We've been looking at what he says about himself and about us. And we're looking at what the scriptures have said, pointing to him. And we're learning to embrace the moment and lose yourself. And so we, each week we've started with this statement from John. John was someone who lived with Christ and, 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 and walked with him, was taught by him, and eventually followed him and said he is the son of God and gave his life up to him. And he wrote the gospel of John. And he wanted us to know that Jesus was who he was. And so he wrote in John 1, he says, No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son, talking about Christ, who is himself God and is in the closest relationship with the Father, that he has made him known. And so we say, I want to know if God... God exists. I want to see him in my life. And is he real? And so how do we know that? Well, we look to Christ because Jesus came down to us and lived with us so that we can know God. Not, he didn't make it a mystery. And so Jesus has made him known. So how do we know who God is, what he's like, and what his heart is? We look to Christ. Jesus shows us God. And so John, in his opening part of his gospel, his letter, he says, he says that Jesus was God, with God in the beginning, that he was part of creation, that he is the light of the world, that he is the life of man, and he has made God known. And so we should want to know that. Like, if that's true, we should be curious to lean in and see what that would look like. And so we've been looking at God's heart to us. And that he is a loving father. That no matter how far we've, we've gone away from him or rejected him or how good we've tried to be to try to get to him, that he is always engaging us and he loves us. And that he's invited us on a journey to follow him. And that's what we talked about last week. Is that many times we think and through culture and different events, that God's just ready for you to, in a moment, just to make a full life change decision. I'm yours, and i got to give everything up to you, and, and all these different things. But we look at the story of Christ. He invited them to listen first, begin to engage. And faith really comes by hearing. And his followers didn't just immediately just give up everything that they heard him first. And then he invited them on a journey to follow him. And we talked about these steps where we begin to take steps for him. We begin to take steps of faith. And one day we can come to the decision to believe that he is the son of God. And we want to walk towards that incredible beauty 
and live for him. And each one of you has their own type of journey. And so the question really is, am I following? Am I taking steps towards him? It's not where are you at in the journey. It's are you following? Are you following? So what was it that caused them to follow him? His followers saw him die and then resurrected. And then that lit up everything. It showed and proved that he was the son of God. It meant that God exists, that there's eternity and all these things. And if, we, if you're with us last week, we talked about how the, a culture changed overnight. A worldview changed overnight in a way that was unexplainable. And nobody would have chosen that. It's never happened in the history of the world except for this time. It's really hard to explain. It's one of the many reasons to help us know for certain that the resurrection happened. Well, the question remains is, why did Jesus have to die? Why is the cross that he died on so significant? And this is a really important part of this story. Why did he have to die? And his death and then his resurrection eventually led so many to abandon all and live for him. Why did he die? And so what we want to do, what I want to do is look at the story of God. And for many of this, this is a, is a reminder, and it's a, but maybe it's a deeper understanding of what he's done for us. But maybe for some of you, you've never really heard this before. But we talk about God's story to us, that he has been engaging us. We say that God has been, been engaging us from the beginning in his story. And so in his story, we have like four parts that we love to talk about. The God, and we'll put it up here for you, that God created us for this incredible beauty, that he made the world in, a, in perfect unity and harmony, full of incredible beauty that glorified him. That everything that we experience around us, we see glimpses of this beauty when we look at the mountains, we look at the ma like how massive space is and everything else around us and things that are really like incredible and enormous. And if you've ever been out in, in any of these places and moments, you can feel overwhelmed by how massive and huge and beautiful it is. If you've ever stood in the mountaintop and just been silent, it's incredible. God made you and I beautiful. We've experienced the beauty in this world. Maybe it's through relationships or the love of someone else. Or whatever it may be, the love of great food. I don't know, choose your own thing. The joy of being in a massive group of people together, whatever it may be. Some of you are like, that exists still? Yeah, yeah, you can do that. But what we experience is a... It's not fully what he made it to be. That's how he started. But then we stepped in, and he gave us freedom, and we choose our own, chose our own way, and we experienced what we call the fall. We broke away from this beauty and this love. We didn't really believe that God had all this for us, and we could do it our own way and introduce what we call sin. And we'll jump into that in a little bit, but it led to all this brokenness that we experience in our world today. God didn't leave us there, but he came to redeem us, and not only that, to restore us. This is a, 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 it's an important thing for us to understand his pursuit of us, his story in us. So let's walk through this. We'll start with the beauty. We'll start with the beauty. When we look at the world around us, we see a shadow of what was meant to be. It wasn't created to be this way. 
I was just referencing this, right? God created his creation to exist in what the scriptures refer to as shalom. I don't know if you've heard that word before. It's not something we really talk about or say that often. But in the Hebrew scriptures, it talks about that, uses that word shalom. And it's this, it's this meaning of perfect harmony and unity. And if, you, if you've ever read scriptures, if you look into it, it is unity is mentioned all the time. And so we believe that God exists in three persons. We have the Trinity of God that's in relationship with one another. We have a God who's in relationship, and they are so in unity that they are one. And it's this incredible beauty, and he longs for us to experience the joy of that. And so God exists in Shalom. The Father, Son, and the Spirit are three individuals that are so in harmony that they actually are one. And everything was created to exist in that harmony, peace, unity. And everything that we do in our world, we're just longing to experience that, to get back to that. And out of that unity, God extends his family and creates man and woman. He wants us to experience how incredible this is. So God extends this love and creates us. It says this in the scriptures. It says in Ephesians, it says, Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. He loved us. Before he made the world, he loved us. Like he chose us to, to be without fault, to be completely good. In his eyes. And listen to this. It says, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. He knew before he created the world that we would blow it. We would break off in this love and walk towards what would bring us death. To walk away from love is to walk away from love itself, from life itself. He is life. He is love. There's no other way to describe it. Any kind of love that we exist or that we feel or experience comes from him because that is who he is. That's where it came from. And to walk away from that and to go our own way means to, to, walk, to, to walk into death, to walk away from love. And he knew we would do that before he did anything, before he created us. He knew that we would walk away. And so he was in his plan from the beginning that he would give up his life, give up himself to bring us back. To pay the penalty of death for us. And says, so this is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. Like he, he took joy in the fact that we would be freed up and experience his love and unity. It's all about that original beauty, all about that original love. And it's so important for us to, to, to know that and to see that and to experience that deeply because. Because we don't always experience in our life. Or many times our view of God is just like, what do I have to do to be okay with you? But it's a totally different perspective. He's, he's long, he's, he did everything he can so that we, could be, we would be okay with what, what he did so we could experience that love and engage that. So this is what he wanted to do and it gave him great pleasure. So we see this, what we call shalom, this unity and harmony in the beginning. Everything is in its perfect Place. Everything is in working order. Man, it was perfectly connected to God and connected to one another. Nobody's 
Nobody's throwing shade at anybody. Nobody's hurting anybody. Nobody's getting their feelings hurt. It's awesome. But we know that didn't stay there. So now the Lord God had planted a, a garden in the east in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees to grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden was a tree of life and the tree of knowledge and good and evil. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. And God looked over all he had done and saw that it was very good. Exclamation point. And so he's like, hey, be fruitful. Have fun experience the beauty and multiply and fill the earth and govern it. He gave us something to do and to enjoy it. However, we decide rather than trusting him, we will go our own way and that we bought into a lie that God was holding out on us. Despite all this incredible joy and beauty, we bought into a lie you ever done that? We're like, I know, I know God says not to do this, but doesn't God want me to be happy? <laughs> God wants me to be happy. Why is he holding out on me? And we don't believe it. We don't trust him. We're like, I, I like this thing. I'm just going to take it and do it my own thing. And we, we think that we know better. We take the very things that he's created us to experience and, and created himself and we do our own thing with it. Why is he holding out on me? We do this. I do this. And so we are deceived. And it says here, the serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say that you must not eat the fruit from any tree in the garden? And why is this so significant? Because it's significant because God gave us a choice. He didn't make us robots. He gave us freedom to choose. That's what real love is. We choose him. We choose his love. It's significant. He's like, did God really say you must not eat the fruit? She goes, of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. One replied, it's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be open as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. He was appealing to something that would have been very, very, like a, a desire in her and her husband, by the way, who was right there with her, just so you know. He says, you'll be like God, knowing both good and evil. And it says, a woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some fruit and ate it. And then she gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it too. And in the midst of harmony was introduced what the Bible refers to as sin. And so maybe you've heard this word sin before. We, it's said in, in basically in church or in just different things in culture. We've heard, you know, it's been around with us. What is that? What is, how do we define that? Well, sin is any action that is un. Loving. It's really important for us to understand the root of this. And it all goes back to the beauty. It's any action that is unloving. 
has everything to do with that original shalom. Sin is any break in that intended love between God and man and with each other, between man and man. So in our relationships with, with others and our relationship with God, any break in that is any action that is unloving. So sin is relational. It is relational. It's interesting. It's when, when God gave the Hebrews, the, the Ten Commandments. We have the Ten Commandments, right? It's interesting because they were divided in two portions. The first part, the beginning, deals with your relationship with God. And everything else deals with your relationship with others. Don't murder. Don't covet. Do not do these things. It's going to lead to your death. It's going to lead to your destruction. And so sin is relational. And we think of it as like, what's the list of rules and we want to pull away from that kind of thinking. Like, what did I do to like break? Or can I be good enough? And all these different things. Our relationship with God has been broken. Who is pure and holy. That's what's happened. And our relationship with others is the same thing. And we feel that brokenness. So whether you believe in God or not, if you do something against one another, you can even do something against yourself. You feel it. And you can define, like, what are your own rules? You break that and you feel that inside. You feel a brokenness. There's something, there's a divide that's being created between you and others. And there's something in you that says, I need to make this right. And so this is also why Christ came to say, he says, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is equally as important. Love your neighbor as yourself. So Jesus says the entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Everything in the entire Old Testament scriptures that we had, everything leading up to Christ that God had given us can be summed in these two things. Love God and love others. You want to have great purpose for your life? You love Him. You live your life in that kind of purpose and you love others around you. So sin is relational. Even breaking that relationship with God or others, that is a sin. Any selfishness in these relationships, that is what we call sin, and we've all done it. We've all done it. We've all chosen selfishness and hurt others. That's why in Romans 3.23, Paul is talking about this, and he makes this argument to us. He says, for all have sinned. Everyone's done it. We all fall short of God's glorious standard, which is really important, this incredible standard of beauty. We need someone who can really be that good person, the one that can ultimately say, yeah, this is what is good, because we fall short of that. He says, as the scriptures say, no one is righteous, not even one. And so we walked away from God. And here's the, the, the great beauty of all this. And the, the beauty of him is that just because we walked away and we rejected him, if you're with us week one, do you, I don't know if you guys remember this, if you were here, we talked about the two sons and how they both kind of didn't love the father and the first son walked away from him and rejected him in a very phenomenal fashion, rejected the entire family, demanded all the money that he didn't really deserve yet, that the father had worked hard to give for his inheritance, said, I want it all now, and it caused all this drama Basically just said, you know, fingers up, we'll see you later, and blew it, like went away with all this money, rejected the family, 
in the worst way possible and blew it all and eventually had to come back in humility. And God, even though he rejected him, the father in the story who represented God welcomed him back fully forgiven and restored completely. That story is important because just because we walked away from God doesn't mean that he walks away from us. The scripture is full of these examples. From the beginning, God was showing us that he was going to be faithful and he knew that we wouldn't. The first scripture I read today was about his plan from the beginning was to adopt us, to bring us back. He keeps his promises. And one of those promises is that no one will ever hurt you and get away with it. And this is important. Because this is what we want to see in our world. We see people hurting others. We see that in, our, in your own life. It's happened to you, in our cities, in our country, in the world. We're watching this happen. God promises no one will ever hurt you and get away from it. Romans 12, 19, it says, Do not take revenge, my friend, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, It is mine to avenge, I will repay. We understand justice in our world. We cry out for that. The problem is, as we cry out for justice, eventually that comes to our own doorstep because we can't do the same thing either. We need someone who can be just. We understand how important that is, and we, we, are, we take pleasure when someone is brought to justice, when a verdict is given. And Paul is referring to God's promise to us that he gave in Deuteronomy. In the Old Testament Scriptures, God says, It is mine to avenge, I will repay. In due time their foot will slip, their day of disaster is near, and the doom, their doom rushes upon them. So God is going to set the record straight. He has promised that. And this is really good news when you've been hurt. We see in the Psalms, David crying out over and over again, and other psalmists saying, like, please, please bring justice to those. And when it did happen, they rejoiced in this. It's good news when you've been hurt because we can trust a God that does that. The problem is it's really bad news because I've hurt others. You've hurt other people as well. It's bad news when you've also hurt someone. We owe and you and I can't do something good to make up for the, what you've done, what you've cost to someone else that you've hurt. You weren't created to be neutral. It's like showing up for work halfway through the week and working the second half of the week to make up for the first week, half of the week you work. I don't know, it sounds a lot like work from home right now, right? <laughs> like, like, I was here at some point. Like, that doesn't work. Like, you've lost that time. It doesn't work that way. You owe, I owe for what we've done. Someone has to pay for what's happened to you. Someone has to pay for what you've done. Or God really can't say that he's loving. It's not loving to let it go. If someone were to hurt one of my children, I would burn in anger and want to see justice happen. It's not loving to be like, yeah, don't worry about it. <laughs> we would never do that. Love, real love demands justice. 
And who gets to be the one that really draws the line? This is where we struggle with God. We want him to draw lines, but not for you and me. A loving God demands justice. And so that leaves all of us without hope, unless someone can take our place. And this is why we celebrate Christ and why he had to die. That's why the cross is so central to our faith. Someone had to take our place. So in his continued plan for his family, God does just that. He sends his son to take our place. This is why it's not in any kind of way arrogant. When Jesus said these words found in John 14, 6, as Jesus told him, I am the way, I am the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. God isn't just nice. He isn't just nice. All right, everybody's just good. Like, that's what we want it to be, but there's nothing loving about that. And I love that. That's like the New Yorker, the New Jersey in, in us. We like that, right? It's just, you know, because we're known for not always being nice, that's actually a good thing. We're like, we're helping you guys out, okay? We're giving you, we're pointing you towards the things that are right. God isn't just nice. He doesn't just accept prayers to pay for pain. He doesn't just forgive without justice. It's impossible. It can't happen. Someone has to pay for it. Or he's really lying to you and I. There's a payment owed. There's a debt. There's a guilt out there. Someone has to pay. So that's why God sends his son to the cross to pay for the way you and I have hurt him and those around us. And everything in the Old Testament scriptures, there's a story of all of everything that God had been doing in history was all pointing towards this moment of Christ coming. It's incredible. God had been showing this over and over, and Jesus himself was saying this was going to happen. It was his plan. So God sends his son to pay for the way you and I have hurt him and those around us. When Jesus died, he became, he becomes our sin. And this introduces the redemption part of the story. Even though we broke away, it introduces redemption to us. And this was predicted hundreds of years before of what would happen. God was showing us this was coming. This is in Isaiah in Isaiah 53, it says, All of us like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's past to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. This is fascinating. Isaiah 53 is really hard to explain. For those that are coming from a, from a Jewish history and background, many times they skip over this chapter because it's so complicated. Because everything in this chapter points directly to Jesus. It's amazing. As the Lord has laid on him the sins of us all, he was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep is silent before the shears, he did not open his mouth. Unjustly condemned, he was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants, that his life was cut short in midstream. But he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. He had done no wrong and had never deceived anyone. But he was buried like a criminal, and he was put in a rich man's grave. Which is true. When Jesus was put in a tomb, he was put in a rich man's tomb. Just like it said. See, but it was the Lord's good plan. There's that word again. His good plan 
to crush him and cause him grief. Yet when, he, when his life was made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. Scriptures say it gave God great pleasure to pour out his wrath upon Christ. He could pour out on him the anger and the justice that was necessary. And that's what happened when Jesus died. But there's two things that we don't talk about enough that happened when Jesus died, when, he, when, he, when his death happened on the cross. The one is the moment that Jesus cried out. Matthew is, is recording this and telling us about this. Matthew said at noon, darkness fell across the whole land until 3 o'clock. He said at 3 o'clock, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lema shabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? For the first time ever, Jesus is completely alone. God turns his back on him. Why would he say, God, why have you abandoned me? I can't imagine experiencing the incredible beauty and the unity of the Trinity of, the, of God. Think about the most exhilarating experience of your life and the most exhilarating beauty that you've experienced. Just imagine that being what your life is about. Experiencing the pure love of the Father and knowing heaven and being broken off from that. Imagine the worst betrayal you've ever had. Someone who's turned their back on you. That's the worst kind of, like a breakup. It's getting close, but a friend or someone close to you betrays you, turns like lies and accuses you. is one of the hardest and worst feelings that you will experience in life. And you haven't experienced that, it will happen. I can't imagine what Jesus felt in this moment. He's completely alone. God turns his back. Why did this happen? He is taking on our sin. There's the significance of his death, that he is becoming our sin. And we believe that he became our sin, that he took our place, that he paid for it. That's a significant part of what happened on the cross. And then there's another thing that happened at the temple in Jerusalem. God did something to physically demonstrate what was happening at Jesus' death. This is the moment Jesus died, God's... Uh, yeah, so in Matthew 27, it says, Then Jesus shouted out again, and he released his spirit. So he dies. He dies. And it says, at, the, at that moment, the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from the top to bottom. The earth shook, and rocks split apart. So all the creation is trembling at this moment. What's the significance of the temple? Well, the temple, the curtain, was a visual barrier between the people and God, saying there's a sinful people, you've rejected him, and only the high priest could go in like at one, one point in time to offer sacrifices for their sins. He had to continually offer sacrifices. The only person allowed to go into the holiest of holies, which represented who God was. And God ripped this curtain. It wasn't like some curtain, some stage curtain, like the ones that are behind us are thick, and it'll be hard to cut. Like we got a knife. It would take us some time. But the, the curtain of this temple was insane. It was beyond thick. You couldn't just go and rip it. They'd have been confused greatly how this happened. And God was saying that this divide has now been broken. God was saying nothing is going to come between me and my people again. This has now been paid for. And so in Hebrews, in the Scriptures, it says, Dear brothers and sisters, we can, we can boldly, we, because of Christ... We can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have been 
Since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, this is speaking of Christ, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. We can go right to him. When we follow Christ, he has taken the barrier away. It says, for our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. Because of what Christ did for us, you've been brought back to the family. He's made a way for us to walk away from the slavery of our brokenness. We see it. No matter how much we advance in our technologies and everything else in the world, we can't get past our brokenness. It is enslaving us. Despite all of the comforts and everything that we have to pursue ourselves in our country, how wealthy and rich we are here, we are the most miserable we've ever been. We are unhappy. We are selfish. The need for psychologists and therapists is greater than it ever has been. Romans 8, 15 says, You did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you've received the spirit of sonship, sonship and by him we cry, Abba, Father, Daddy. We've been brought back to him, our Father. And that's why his death is so significant. He redeems us, but then he restores us. This is the final thing. Colossians 1.18, it says, He is the head of the body. When he rose from the grave, the church, he is the beginning and the firstborn among the dead, so that everything that he might have supremacy. Jesus rose from the dead, proving that he's the Son of God and that God is Lord over even death. And even death does not hold us anymore. And this is so significant that we do not have to be afraid of death anymore. And so we must choose. This has been settled for you, and all you have to do is trust him. You've been given the freedom to choose, and this is why we proclaim Christ. And on your journey towards him, there's a place where we say, I believe that you are the son of God, and you are mine, because you are the best thing that I can pursue. Jesus says, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again, just like Christ. He makes us new spiritually. In Romans, it says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and with your mouth that you confessed and are saved. This is what God has done for you. And the question for you and I in our journey of following him is, will you believe him? It's about believing him, not just believing that he exists, but following him. It goes back to the question that we said a couple weeks ago. Do we answer to God? Is he, is he God of our lives? Is, does he lead us? And we say yes. As Christ followers, we say you are the best thing that we can pursue. You are who we live our lives for because you are the creator of our original beauty. He wants to lead you into grace, mercy, forgiveness, freedom, and peace. He is the only one that can truly give us that. Are you following? Let's pray together.
Jesus, we love you. God, I thank you for your pursuit of us. That you didn't just leave us in a brokenness. You stepped into it. And, and, and not only that, you gave up your beauty and served us and gave your life for us so that we could be free. We thank you. We give you glory. I pray today that we would follow you, that we would believe that you have created us for that beauty, that we would experience the freedom that you long for us to have in our hearts, that we would truly be at peace with you, no matter what's happening around us. Thank you, Father, and ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.